Okay, everybody, Vinny Fisher back with another episode of Total CEO. I have a guest on with us today that is, I'll tell you, it's probably going to be more educational for me than you, so sorry, sorry for all of you, but I'm going to win big because we're talking about this idea of category design, and I'm going to let Christopher get into that a little bit, but one of the things I want to encourage you about is we're going to get intense because a mission that both Christopher and I share is this idea that we have to seriously understand the responsibility and burden of an entrepreneur and let's equip each of us with opportunities to succeed and thrive and and there's enough opportunities out there where we're the world's playing against us and so I love this kind of David and Goliath discussion we're going to have a little bit today. But before we get deeper into that, I want to first welcome, you know, Christopher Lockhead to the show. Chris, welcome to the show, bud. Vinny, thank you so much. It's great to be here. And uh, I'm a big fan. I, I hope one day I can be a total CEO. <laughs> well, you know, you, you, you are. You just may choose to not be working on parts of it, you know, and that makes your, your pieces that you deal with, right? We have this, the reason why we're in this thing is that, you know, we, I'm a, just a good marketer, right? And I learned along the way that I had to develop my team. I had to pay attention to my numbers, my marketing strategy. Well, I biffed three or four companies not realizing that there's, there's this entire thing that I'm responsible for. And so, you know, we're out here trying to fight the good fight that you, you don't have to take a fatal wound on one part of your company because that's not your expertise. And so people like you, uh, getting you out there and helping us, uh, uh, win this battle, you know, the number uh, 93% of businesses don't make it to their 10th year, right? And so that's alarming. And so, you know, we're, we're, we want to fight this good fight. So I appreciate you wanting to strive at being the total CEO. It doesn't mean, Chris, that you have to be good at everything. It means that everything has to be moving, right? And so uh, let's go with that. All right, now let's get the show off of me and back where it belongs, which is on to you. And so, uh, Chris, can you give us a little bit of a, a, a why we should be listening to you and who you are for a second before we dive into some meat? Uh, sure. I'm a, um, I got thrown out of school at 18 for being stupid and started my first company. I found out at 21 I was uh, dyslexic. And it turns out there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are, as I'm sure you well know, Vinny. Yeah. And are you by any chance? No, but um, you know, I've been accused of all kinds of things like ADHD and other stuff, but I, I actually don't suffer from uh, dyslexia, but I have family members who do. And I have a dear entrepreneur friend who does, and so does his daughter. Yeah, well, there, there's a lot of theories about sort of the mental wiring of most entrepreneurs, but um, uh, most of us- I will expose something honest to you though, Chris, since we're only me, you, and six other people watching. I have a actual flaw. Like right now, if I want to tell you the right side of your face, Hey, can you do something on the right side of your face? Like right now where your hand is on your left side, I would naturally think that's the right side. I have to mentally turn it around in my head and then actually unturn what I turned to get it correct. And my wife is always teasing me about this. I'll look in the mirror at the kids and I 90% of the time I'll get it wrong. So I must have some issues with that. I don't see it in my reading and my writing, but I, I apparently must see it in other visual aspects because I do have that problem. So yeah, you know, there's a thing that I just learned about. Um, we were lucky enough to have Jamie Williamson on uh, Legends and Losers, and he's the head of a school in uh, Ohio that focuses on students um, with learning differences. Mm. And uh, I have all this stuff, right? And so we start off the show and we're talking and I say, so Jamie, what are the learning differences? And he says, well, you know, ADHD, check. 
dyslexia check. And then he starts to talk about this thing he calls executive function disorder. Oh boy. And, and the first thing I say, of course, is, uh, well, I know a lot of executives who are not very functional, you know, but apparently there's this part of your brain that's called executive function. And it sort of governs things like where are the keys and, <laughs> and, and a blank sheet of paper and left from right and some coordination. And, and uh, I don't know if you have this, but like if well, I never- I just admitted to you, I apparently must have some executive function disorder. Well, do you have this? Do, do you ever get like a, uh, ever go to Ikea? I mean, I hate Ikea, but uh, if somebody were to put a gun to my head and make me put together an Ikea table, what we would discover after the table was assembled was, was how many extra pieces it came with. Amen. Ugh. So that's all executive That's a joke in my disorder. marriage, by the way. How many parts are going to be remaining after I put something together? Well, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, we have a wonderful home and my wife, Carrie, is incredible. And um, she is, a, uh, she's amazing with her hands. I mean, she just, she's a gardener and she could put anything together. And, you know, her, she's Italian and her dad, no one ever told her dad that the girls were girls. And so the girls can do everything, right? Nice, I love and, it. And so we have this awesome tool thing in our garage and people come over and they're like, oh, Chris, you know, you got an awesome tool whatever this thing's called, right? I said, those aren't, that isn't mine. Those are baby's tools. I have no idea what's in there. <laughs> so all that's executive function. Gotcha. I just learned that. All right, so hey, just so everyone knows, if you want to go check out while you're watching us or you suffer from this you know, executive function and you got to do other things or you're distracted and you want to check out Christopher and what's going on with him, just go to legendsandlosers.com. That's where Chris... Uh, is the that's the center of his empire you know he, we, you have a podcast right you have a show chris and what's your mission at legends and losers what's going on there so our mission is really simple to inspire people to design a legendary business and a legendary life all right let's unpack that a little bit right? well the the first thing is uh uh i believe that it's complete bs Vidi, that um uh who we are is, is distinct at work and distinct at home. So for example, all this discussion about work-life balance. Garbage. F that. And the reason I say that. Look at that, you cleaning it up for me, Chris. Good job. Hey, hey, I'm, wor I'm working on it here, Vinny. Hey, I'm being a good you. boy. <laughs> I, I, let me just say this. When I'll clean up whatever intensity I want to put on this. BS to balance. You can't find any honest, truthful support for that. It's priority and perspective. It's not about balance. Well, and, and, and our, if we're going to be legendary at anything, our life's going to be out of balance a lot, Constantly. given where we are in our life, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not making some thing with my kids and wife today because I, I have things I have to do, but we're prioritizing so that we can go have some fun with some other stuff or perspective of who are the three or four businesses we're helping today? And my wife and I are in that battle, right? So back to this idea of a legendary business. Let's unpack that a little bit. So um, that, that's the, I love it. That's kind of like the soundbite mission, but like, why are you doing that? Like, like why should I care? The reason I'm doing that, Vinny, is um, I'm somebody for whom entrepreneurship is not a theoretical discussion. Mm. And so being an entrepreneur changed everything in my life. 
And I, I would say there's two kinds of entrepreneurs and uh, I love both of them. Um, one of them you might think of as a big E entrepreneur. And I've spent most of my career with big E entrepreneurs as a, as a chief marketing officer. So big E entrepreneur by definition would be, for, for example, a Mark Zuckerberg, you know, somebody who comes to Silicon Valley, they have a big idea. Uh, it's, you know, may or may not be technology related, but they get funded by top tier venture capitalists. And their objective is to build what you could think of as a category king business, a big dominant, giant, multi, uh, market, uh, multi-billion dollar market cap company. Business, right? yeah. Correct. Yep. And so that's a biggie entrepreneur. And the other thing about a lot of biggie entrepreneurs is, if you take Zuck as an example, if Facebook fails, Zuck doesn't miss a meal. No. Right? And he just goes and gets a job at Google or Microsoft or I don't know where, and, and, and away he goes. He hangs out so, on his island for a little while and thinks about it, right? Right. I mean, he was a kid at Harvard, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, right. So, and, and the, those entrepreneurs are unbelievable, and, and, and I love them, and I've spent most of my life on Sand Hill Road and Silicon Valley working with those kinds of firms. There's another kind of an entrepreneur that I was at 18 after I got thrown out of school, because my options were uh, either shave guys' testicles for a living or Boy, start a company. Boy, does that sound intriguing, Chris. I'm shit. Uh, let's not even go there. All right. Or what was the other option? That was my job. My mother got me a job as an orderly in a hospital. Gotcha. And so I would be the guy that would come to you and say, uh, you know, Mr. Fisher, uh, hello, my name's Christopher and I'm here to shave you. And you'd say, I don't think I need to shave. And I'd say, well, um, I I don't think you shaved where I'm going to shave you. (laughs) So I was doing that. That's a cocktail party story right there. Yeah, right. So, hey, if we ever need an emergency uh, testicle shaving, I'm your guy. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll keep that duly noted, Chris. Thanks. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and my other option was my friend Jack was uh, working in the technology business. And uh, he said, I think I see an opportunity and um, you're kind of the best sales guy I know. And would you come and help me do this? And hmm. he ultimately talked me into doing it. And so I guess my point is, a small e entrepreneur or a big e entrepreneur is somebody for whom entrepreneurship is a way up in life. And a small e entrepreneur is somebody for whom entrepreneurship is a way out. And so like for that. me, I like it. it was a way out of maybe not poverty would be uh, probably t- too far, but certainly a life of struggle. Um, and in my case, you know, no education, yeah. uh, no contacts, no relationships, no, uh, of course, no money, uh, and of course, no experience, right? But other than that, I was was ready. Destined to be in one part of the workforce as a labor person, unless you broke out and did something and created new opportunities. Is that kind of your premise there? Yeah. And, And to think that I could start there, have multiple failures and successes, ultimately at 27 years old, become the head of marketing for a publicly traded tech company in Silicon Valley, spent 20 years in Silicon Valley uh, trying to uh, build and uh, companies and categories mm. and, you know, retire for the first time um, at 38 and then retired again uh, last year at uh, 48. So there's something about the eights, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I re-retired last year after my book came out. But anyway, all that said, way, you said it. What's the name of the book? Play Bigger, How Pirates, Dreamers, and Innovators Create and Dominate Markets. All right. So I want to 
talk a little bit about that. So you can, by the way, you know, this is a live show. We will have a link not only to legendsandlosers.com where you can go get the book, but that's just go find Play Bigger. We can also find it uh, in Amazon. Is that right, Christopher? You sure can and available everywhere legendary books are sold. Love it. (laughs) Including San Francisco airport. So we were, so there's a, I, I want to throw this out there as a, as a premise and then talk about this idea. I love how your mission is to, you know, maybe we can stop more failure uh, and help equip entrepreneurs. And one of the things I'm noticing in, in the small business world, right? So we don't, mo- a lot of us don't live in your world of Silicon Valley. So we don't get caught up in some of these big things. And I want I'd like to eke out some stuff that's going on there and help us, um, us po people out in the rest of the country. And so, um, what I've noticed in the, in the world, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, 80% of businesses in America are service companies. And um, I've also noticed that there's another uh, breakdown that there aren't always just entrepreneurs. There are also these things called business owners who actually provide a service but don't have an entrepreneurial way about them. I don't know if you've experienced that in, in your way. So how do you... When we deal with this play bigger, because I want to get back to that quickly, but have you noticed the difference between this biggie, this entrepreneur, and then there's another category, the business owner who might not even self-identify with an entrepreneur? Yeah, I, I, I guess if you're a business owner and somebody else is running it for you um, and you're more in a maintenance mode, and I know, um, like, I know semi-retired entrepreneurs who are like that. They, they well, let me just let me give you a great example. You know, like, you know, we, we help accountants, right? We help them grow out their practices, get more clients, get more leads. The, most of these guys and gals want to be a trusted advisor, helping every day do the job of reconcile books, give some strategy. But they're, they're not really struggling with scale growth, dynamic in the business, conquer the world, do all these, what I consider more little E things. Um, but they really want to be the best little accountant they can possibly be. You, you understand the difference of what I'm saying there? It's true of lawyers, doctors. Um, they might have their own thing, but they're not, they're not probably, there's a slight line and maybe there's an overlap. And I don't mean to beat up the rest of the show on this. I just wanted to throw out there that even though there's little, little ease out there, the world calls you and I, the entrepreneur, something different. And I find business owners trying to back away and not be identified sometimes as an entrepreneur, which I find to be rather unusual, but I've noticed. Well, I remember when I was a kid, Vinny, uh, I didn't, when I started my first company with my friend Jack, I didn't know the word entrepreneur. Mm. Uh, And when I heard it, it it, it sort of seemed like a fancy word for unemployed. (laughs) Right? That wasn't, I mean, I, I, I remember I, my buddy's dad said he's an entrepreneur and I'm like, oh, cool. So he smokes weed and hangs out in the garage and doesn't have a job. Right. Or, or, or smokes weed, hangs out in the garage and makes bets on insane things that, you know, he's sort of like, you know, it was an entrepreneur when I first heard it was sort of like a crazy inventor, right? Yeah. Who was like yeah. dreaming up yep. crap, let me call it crapola, you know, and was sort of a, a Kind of just a crazy, a mad scientist type character. Yep. Um, or yeah. a vagabond jumping from job to job, and they just put instead of, instead of identifying that, you know, they would just call it something to kind of get everyone off their back. Right. That's kind of what my yeah. thought yeah. of it was too. Yeah, and I think you know back then more people probably called themselves things like business owners and, and things along those lines. 
Not, not that they don't today, of course, but. Um, All right, so playing but, big, play big, play bigger, the name of the book, but playing bigger, right? This idea, play bigger. You, you were talking about, before we uh, hit our, you know, in our show here, and you and I were talking to the world, this idea of category design. And I, I really want to dive into that, because to me, this I, I come from a premise, Christopher, of, of, uh, of the identity. People get identity from all kinds of things, and we anchor in this. And you touched on something. And I, why, why do people suffer from this the other negative side of this category design. I'd love for you to answer it this way if you could, not tell you how to answer it, but if you could describe what we're talking about and then dive back into that question, I'd really appreciate that. Yeah, let me see if this, this is where you want me to go. And, and I know I don't have to say, feel, feel, feel free to interrupt me if I'm going in the direction you don't want me to go. <laughs> All right. Uh, I love it. Uh, so here's the big aha. When you study with data science what happens in markets, you begin to see patterns. And I'll tell you specifically. So for our book, we did about three quarters of a million dollars of primary research. And it was roughly half and half on qualitative and, and, and quantitative. So what we did on the qualitative side was we built a big data store. And what we filled it with was a database of every venture-backed technology company in the United States founded from 2000 to 2015. Okay. And we were able to track- a big data set. Very big data set. And, and a one that only recently you could actually even build. Huh. Um, because what we really wanted to look at, Vinny, was um, uh, how these companies grew over time, particularly- their market cap, that is to say their value or valuation for the private companies, right? Okay. And then the big question, um, so we got that data. And then the big question we asked the data, and we asked the data a whole bunch of questions, but one of the very big ones we asked them is, most marketing people study market share. That is to say what percentage of a yep. given market goes to one company. And that's very important. But that's been studied and, and, and is relatively well understood. We wanted to understand what percentage of the total value created, total market cap created in any given category goes to the leader? And sort of how does it break out? Interesting. And here's what we found. In tech, the category king earns 76% of the economics. That is to say total market value created. Okay. And if you look at it, in a lot of tech categories, uh, the category king has no competitor. Right. Facebook has no competitor. They right. crush. They've, they've tried to have some people pop up, but they've just crushed them. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, one of the guys who was on the lead team at Google who created Google Plus after he left wrote a blog post that kind of rocketed around the internet. And uh, uh, he said, we effed up. And uh, one of the things he said in the blog post is what we discovered is the world doesn't need another Facebook. Mm, yeah, I actually read that. I, I thought that was really in insightful by him. But his point is he was, he was verifying that 76% goes to the king. And That's what right. Happened? So and what then, you know, I'll just give you one other example. Um, Microsoft, of course, one of the greatest entrepreneurial companies in the world. And Bill Gates is one of the greatest category designers ever. 
but unfortunately, they have not been designing and dominating new categories for quite some time. So when um, they launched their competitor to Google, which is, of course, called Bing, uh, Bomber, Steve Bomber, who was the chief executive of Microsoft at the time, said the search advertising market is ripe for a quote-unquote good old-fashioned feature war, and we're going to give it to them. Hmm. And so they did a head-on attack with Bing, and uh, they had mountains of data and evidence to prove Bing was better. They spent in excess of $10 billion on Bing. And Google's market share and market cap has only gone up since. All you're doing is helping the king get better, right? That's right. And so, so I guess the first aha is we're living in a winner-take-all world. Okay. And it's good to be that category king. The second aha is, and this is the one that is harder for most people to get their head around. The dumbest thing you can do in business is attack an existing market category. Amen. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Most chief executives, whether they realize it or not, and most don't, make an unconscious, unquestioned, unexamined choice to position themselves, their company, their products, services, and brands inside of an existing category. They make an unconscious, unquestioned decision to compete in that category for market share. And they make an unconscious, unquestioned decision to use a, we are better than them strategy. That is to say, they're going to compare themselves to others in the existing category and fight on features. That's what they do. That's what we do, right? So you don't even have to say the they, right? This is like the, this is the epidemic of the little E, right? We, since we live in a, the king's world, we have table scraps left. So we're all fighting for this food. And the, and the, the natural reaction is to say that I'm better than you. Correct. And I'm here to tell you, that's not what Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, did. By the way, she's really cool. Oh my you ever God. want to meet her? I don't know if you have or not, but she's no, cool. I, I do want to meet her. world if you want. Since I'll, you I'll cut off my name. pinky to have her on Legends and Losers. I am a big fan. We talk about her in our book. I, 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 I love that she didn't raise venture capital and she owns the company. She oh, her, is, and by the way, she's legit, man. Her, her message of that, her husband, Jesse, everything they do. I, I spent some time with them recently in Atlanta. They're, they're, I, I'm going to go out in front of the world and say, I'm getting introduced, get you introduced to her. She's oh, awesome. I'd be forever grateful. We could have more entrepreneurs like her. Oh, I love her. I, I love her. And, and here, so here's what she did. She's a category designer and she doesn't know it. This, this is the conversation I, you know, would cut off my pinky to have with her. And so she did what Henry Ford did. By the way, she won't make you cut off your pinkies. <laughs> <laughs> um, she did the same thing Henry Ford did. She did the same thing Steve Jobs did over and over and over again. She did the same thing Larry Ellison, the founder of Oracle, did. She did the same thing Mark Zuckerberg did. She intuitively understood that she wanted to stand alone. She wanted others to be compared to her. She wanted to condition the world to think the way she thought. 
and therefore she designed a new category. So here's what she didn't do, Vinny. She didn't call Spanx a girdle 2.0. She didn't say it was a better corset. She didn't say it was a reimagined corset. She didn't say any of that crap. She said, this is different and it's called shapewear. So whether she realized it or not, she taught the world to think differently about what they wear under their clothes. And she said, this is the stuff that smooths you out. And right, she so told let's, 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 I love that. And, and so, so here, let me just finish the yep. thought. Yep. The category, here's yep. what I would posit to you. The category of shapewear created Spanx, not the other way around. Totally. I was literally going to ask you that question just to wrap that up. So here's the, the little E in me that since I sit in most of the time that 24% pool and we don't have the big category winner, um, doesn't creating a new category, isn't that ridiculously hard? What's the fail rate on creating a new category? The fail rate on attacking an existing category is almost 100%. Mm. So here's what I'm telling you, and this is the craziest freaking thing ever. It is more risky to attack an existing category with an existing category king with a we're better than them strategy than to attack a $0 billion category with no revenue, no customers, and no competitors. And here's my evidence. That's what every legendary innovator in the world has ever done. Don't, don't, don't be giving drop the mic moments, man. You, you got to slow that down until the end. I think that's spot on, Christopher. That makes a lot of sense. So why do we think exactly the opposite of that? Because we believe the old uh, axiom from uh, Al Capone. Hey, Al, why do you rob banks? That's where the money is. Hey, entrepreneur, why do you chase existing market categories? That's where the money is. But here's what they don't understand. And I'll break it down in a way for an individual solopreneur. So I'm a one-person accounting office. How does category design and this category thinking apply to me? Yep. You know who Pablo Picasso is? Yep. Famous Have you seen any of his early work, Vinny? You know, I won't get into the story. The answer is no. So when he begins his career as a painter, he paints nice paintings of, you know, landscapes and stuff and ladies and fruit baskets and I don't know what, right? No. But like nice paintings he, yeah. and good you know like if you walked into your house your friend's house and they said oh well, i just bought this painting and you go oh, that's a very nice thomas kincaid know, how cute yeah right gotcha deer or whatever the f is in the, whatever he was painting back then so uh he decides he wants to do something and i'm going to use this word on purpose different now when the world first sees those painted squares with the crazy colors and the boob where the ear should be and all that stuff. What the world says is, well, that's clearly the work of an alcoholic eight-year-old. And he says, no, that's where you're wrong. That's cubism. And so here's what I would say to you. Pablo Picasso became arguably the most, certainly one of the most uh, famous and successful painters on planet earth, not because of any 
design he had on a canvas. He's the category design of a new type of art called cubism. And, and by the way, I want to point out just so everyone knows that why your analogy rings true is he experienced that success while he was alive, unlike other artists who experience some of that success after they're dead, right? So he, even ex he experienced that, some of that success in changing a new category, right? It's great to be successful when you're dead. As a matter of fact, that, that's a hell of a trick. But uh, if you had to pick one or the other, the answer is obvious, right? But, but here's the seminal point. Uh, he taught the world how to think about, mm. look at, appreciate, and I'm going to use this word on purpose, value a new type of art. And when the world got it, he became a genius. And, and here's the seminal question. Would you rather be Picasso or the 47th cubist painter in the world? Yeah, I makes total sense. We are and what I'm saying is in business, people make an unconscious, unquestioned choice to be the, to be 47th. the 47th. Yes. We're here with Christopher Lockhead, who is legendsandlosers.com. And you know, even though half the day I'm a legend and most of the day I'm a loser, either way, we can actually create our own category and stop being a better version of someone else's category. Chris, I love that. Why am I not hearing this from anybody else? Um, here's what's going on. It's actually kind of fun. So, um, adjunct professor at Stanford University, Ann Mirico, who's also um, the co-founder of a venture firm called Floodgate and the woman that Forbes called um, the most important woman in startups. She describes category design as um, sort of the unveiling of, the, of, of a secret art in Silicon Valley, something that every legendary Silicon Valley entrepreneur has either done explicitly or implicitly or intuitively. Um, and so what, what we're really talking about here is how do I carve out a unique place in the world for my company, product, and brand, and really center on solving a problem that either A, is a new problem that the world didn't know it had, or B, a problem that the world knew it had, but that gets meaningfully re redesigned or reimagined for some reason. We talk about both. Yep. And when the world agrees with you about the problem, they have to have the solution. So and you're so, saying we can take existing problems, present them in a way that unveil is a secret art where we have we create a new design or a new way to address that problem. We don't have to invent new problems. We don't. We have to. Well, we might, but but we can also take an existing. Pro I'll give you a simple example in the accounting world. Yep. So I'm going to say something crazy. Go for it. Yeah. Well, why we stop? The accounting world. So let's go for it. I love my accountant, Greg Finley. I love him. He's a legend in my mind. He's the only reason I have any money. I've been with that, I was going to call him a B word, but that son of a gun. I've been with that son of a gun for over 20 years. And that, you know what, is the only reason I have any money. 
<laughs> and he's a great guy and he communicates to me in a way that I understand. And he's on my side, on my team, always has been. And he is a legendary category designer. Let me explain why. Okay. He's a tax accountant. So at that level, you know, there's however many uh, millions of them <laughs> that there are in the world. He decided to, and I'm going to use this word on purpose, position himself for a different category of client. So he didn't differentiate necessarily on his personal skills. He said, hey, I'm a great tax accountant. Well, there's a lot of people who make that claim. He happens to be actually that, but that's not a differentiator. Nope. So he differentiated. Fact, the 47th one in line, right? Yep. Exactly. So he differentiated on for whom? And so he said, I want to position myself as the most legendary accountant for senior executives at tech companies whose primary compensation was stock options. And he was one of the first to, if you will, put his flag on that category opportunity cool. in Silicon Valley. And so, so hold on, I want to make sure I got you there because everyone, if you're listening, your category design could be niching down to the exact person you want to work with. That is category design. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And this was one guy's path to positioning himself for differentiation to create what I would describe as an unfair competitive advantage because Greg, his combination of being great at what he did and focusing and being known for what he focused on and therefore what made him different he said, I'm not going to be a general purpose tax accountant. That's not, what I, that's not who I am. I'm going to, doctors call this, specialize. Love it. So he, and then he developed, and I'm going to use this phrase on purpose as well, Vinny, a point of view about what senior executives in technology companies who are primarily compensated with stock options should do to optimize their net worth. Love it. And he evangelized that point of view the minute you met him. And if you didn't agree with it, you could get the F out of Greg's office. <laughs> well, because you weren't, you weren't the guy that he needed to be helping, right? Correct. So, guy, listen, everybody, he gave you such a piece of wisdom. If you can niche down, there are so many of you, we're all guilty of this, who think you want to service everybody. But the more you can niche down, one, your business is going to thrive. You know, you're, the, the people who niche down are the ones who have the privilege of growing and scaling. But two, you will actually be a differentiator because you only do and service that high need. And Greg is this wonderful example uh, of a tax attorney who has done just that. That's a great example, Chris. That's great. Well, and thank you. And I agree with kind of the points you're underscoring, Vinny. And I would even take it further. Let's not forget the category kings take two-thirds of the economics. Mm. So to use your phrase niche down, which I think is very accurate, it's, 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 it's niche right, whatever that niche is right, for you, right? Because right? if, it if it's you and me, right, if it's Fisher and Lockhead, okay, well, we can niche up a little more than just Fisher can, right? And right. so um, 
But or maybe not. Or maybe not. Maybe there's such a demand that when we're niching, so to speak, down, um, if Greg had a partner and he was desperate enough to pick one of us, then maybe there was more people to service that he can't get to because his organization hasn't expanded uh, in that way, right? So, you know, maybe. Yeah, and, and to be clear, to kind of complete the Greg story, he did this while working at a uh, a small local firm in San Jose, and he was so successful. Ultimately, he became the managing partner of that firm. And then ultimately, that firm sold to a larger firm. And, uh, you know, the partners have done well. And I've stayed with them through the merger. And, um, you know, the, I, as a client, still get served exactly the way I did when, when it was a smaller firm. And so I guess my point is, um, it was a hugely successful strategy for Greg in building his practice. Yeah. It became a huge focus area for the firm, not the, but one of the, right? If I forget how many partners he had, so you'll excuse me, but like a smaller. But it's a, such a great lead gen identifying to the exact client you want to work with. And that's, I'll tell you, if we're going to be in this, what are we saying? 24% of the world, 24% is what's left for the rest of us in almost every category. No, but what I'm saying, Vinny, is when you, to use your phrase, niche down, you can go for category king economics in your space. I'll give you another simple example. If I said to you, hey, Vinny, we could have a category king business selling books, physical books online. So we're going to do e-commerce books today and we're going to kick I'll say booty. You tell me that clearly I've been, um, you know, out west. Sleeping uh, for a while. Uh, uh, sleeping and or enjoying, you know, the, the flowers that you're able to consume out here, right? Well, let me introduce you to my friends at uh, 1-800-CEO-READ or 800CEOREAD.com. Yeah, okay? they're great. Yep. You know these folks. Yep. Uh, my dear friend, Sally Halderson, uh, she's been on Legends and Losers. They've been an incredible partner to me as an author. They've made things happen that were so over the top crazy, hmm. it, it boggles the mind. But anyway, here's my point. By focusing their niche exclusively on business books and by building deep relationships with publishers and authors. So interestingly yeah. enough, of course, they want to build relationships with clients. They're not stupid. but what they realized is by doing a big cuddle cuddle with authors who deeply, nobody writes a business book because they're trying to get rich, right? They write a business book because for whatever reason. It's the opposite of getting rich, by the way. I've written three now. It's not. Exactly. You know, you wrote them because you cared that you thought you could give something to the world that might make a difference, yeah, right? That's it. And, and it, like, there's no other motivation that I, you know, that makes any sense to me. Anyway. It might have started incorrectly. Like you thought that was going to be this big thing. But ultimately, if it's not rooted in something more substantive, you ain't getting royalty checks to solve that problem. And so, you know, the CEO Reed folks understood all that. So they build relationships directly with authors like Love myself. They, they, of course, build tight relationships with the publishers. And they, they create a business that is purpose built to do legendary things for authors and publishers. And as a result, guess what? They're so smart. We send them business, right? So I'm going to do a speech for, you know, 500 people. And, you know, they say, Hey, Christopher, we want to give a bunch away of your book and maybe we want to sell some of your book or whatever it is they want to do, but they want to have a bunch, they want to buy a bunch of books. 
And they say, how do we make that happen? Well, it's, you know, you go to Amazon and say, I want to buy a thousand books or 500 books or even 200 books. Um, that could be One pretty, right? Yeah. And, and so I say, well, hey, listen, let me introduce you to my friends. And, and so here's my point. In a category that is dominated by maybe the greatest category king on planet Earth today, Amazon, yep. Yep. it is still possible to, as my friend Scott Lowry, the CEO of uh, Fathom Marketing says, um, define your niche and get nouveau riche. <laughs> I see that's the point, right? If you can define a niche that sits in a busy world in a busy category, then you created a category design. We are with Christopher Lockhead, legendsandlosers.com. Chris, this has been a blast, man. I, uh, I, I want to tell you that I started the whole show out telling everybody I was going to be more uh, in, in educated and, and intrigued. And I love this idea. You know, we speak all the time here. We try to help accountants become niche sensitive to being so you can't serve everybody. I love that you used even a better keyword, category design. If you can stand out, be different and create and design what you want, your business is going to thrive. I love that. Chris, I, I really want to thank you for being on the show today. Vinny, it's, it's my pleasure. Um, uh, as, as crazy as it sounds, um, I, I love accountants. I've had lots of friends who are accountants. Uh, <laughs> I started my career in the accounting software business for, um, uh, for personal computers. So uh, yeah, I met lots of accountants. I failed grade 10 math, by the way. <laughs> But uh, I've always had accounting folks in my life. And like I said, as crazy as it sounds, uh, I, I love Greg Finley. <laughs> no, that's great. Hey, Chris, thanks for being on the show today, bud. Really great having you. Now, is there anything our community can do for you? Because we have a lot of givers on this who are in our audience. Anything you need? Uh, the biggest thing they can give to me is to do what they do, which is help entrepreneurial growth businesses uh, around the country and around the world thrive and be legendary and and. So that's kind of point A. Point B, the, the, the degree to which you agree with me that uh, category design and having a category strategy increases the odds for your clients, um, introducing them to that idea, I think is a very powerful thing and that would be awesome. Yeah, and, we um, do it now and so we'll just start using some of those nice keywords you put around it. I think it's great. And then um, if you're interested in a, 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 a long form podcast, that is, um, you know, where we chase a, a lot of rabbits down zebra holes. And uh, more importantly, we talk authentically about what it takes to design a legendary business and a legendary life with some of the most extraordinary thinkers in business today. A lot of Silicon Valley folks, um, venture capitalists, of course, entrepreneurs, um, artists. Uh, we seem to be collecting Navy SEALs right now. We've had four-star general Stan Stanley McChrystal on. And so, um, uh, you know, come come visit us at Legends and Losers, and we'll take you on a we'll take you on a fun ride. <laughs> Christopher Lockhead, LegendsandLosers.com. Go check out his podcast, everybody. Great stuff. You're gonna get a, a a whole. He lives in Silicon Valley, so he's got all these legendary secret artists out there who are right at his Rolodex fingertips. So, Chris, thanks for being on the show today, bud. Vinny, thank you so much. Bless you and be legendary. Thanks, brother. <laughs>